I hope my heartprint is for leaders that they understand that real courageous leaders lead from the heart and that it's okay to have fears. We all have fears. Okay, anyone who tells you that they don't is lying. We all have fears. We all have pain. The question is what we do with it. Courage is really having those fears, stepping into your superpowers and then daring. Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 183, I'm joined by Dahlia Feldheim, who enables organizations to promote a more authentic, happier, and psychologically safe working culture. Dahlia has had an executive career in the marketing industry and realized that she's all about women empowerment. She was on the leading team of campaigns such as Always Like a Girl in 2014, which Forbes recognized as one of the 10 most influential campaigns of the century. Dahlia has written a book, once again, reclaiming the phrase, what it means to be like a girl. And the topic of that book is called Dare to Lead Like a Girl. We have a wonderful conversation about both the pain and the purpose of that phrase, what it means to dare to lead like a girl. It's a great conversation. I hope it empowers your leadership. And I hope that you share this episode with someone whose leadership that you wish to inspire and encourage to. You can read more about Dahlia and the great work that she does uh, as a leadership coach and an organizational psychologist at her website, daliafeldheim.com, which you will find in the show notes. Here we go. Episode 183 with Dahlia Feldheim. Dahlia, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you? Good. Great to be here, Ryan. I can't wait to dive into uh, the title of your book, which is over your shoulder. So if anybody is uh, listening on the podcast, go and check it out on YouTube. You'll see it there. But before we reveal the title of what it says, I love the tagline. It says, how to survive and thrive in the corporate jungle. I would love to know a little bit about your journey through your corporate jungle. How did I survive and thrive? (laughs) (laughs) So I started my journey back in 1998 um, when I studied psychology and business and I was recruited by Procter & Gamble. I always had a passion. I thought I would be a neuroscientist, uh, so continue in psychology, but P&G came to my campus for the first time. It was a big deal. Right. And I applied and I got in and we moved to Geneva and um, I call those 17 years my years of flow. I don't know if you know the term, you know, positive psychologist, uh, Mikai Chikmikai, who passed away uh, last year. He basically coined the term meaning um, almost like meditation in action. When you're so aligned with your purpose that you lose track of time. And I'll tell you a few stories later, but I lost track of time. I was high passion, 17 years working with amazing bosses that believed in me. And sometimes more than I believed in myself, my career rocketed. You know, I think one of um, my most well-known campaign is always run like a girl, Mm -hmm. uh, which we launched in 2014. Tell us a little Uh, bit about that campaign. Okay. So now do you want the whole story or one by one? We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Yeah. 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 Continue your journey and then we'll come back to it. I'll tell I'll tell you about that because I think that was also a big uh, determination. Yeah. Even before doing always like a girl, I think the 
you know, the precursor was that was work in India. I'll mm -hmm. tell you about that. And when we'll continue the, the flow. Mm -hmm. 2011. So I started in Geneva, moved to Moscow, moved to uh, Singapore. And I was really grateful that I was able to live my purpose every day, mm -hmm. you know, as a marketing director, doing campaigns that changed life. And we'll talk about it. But also, you know, I became a training junkie, I call myself. So PNG is very much a um, promotion from within. So we also believe in training from within. I went to every single train the trainer for every program and taught yeah. Presentation skill, memo writing, but also people development course. So I very early on realized my passion is people empowerment and women yeah. empowerment specifically. And I was able to do it within my role. Amazing. And I'll give you the, these two examples that you asked about. I'll start with yeah. India. 2011, we moved to Singapore and India was my biggest market. I remember landing in Mumbai and we're driving. It was 8 p.m. dark. And I see this girl sitting you know, outside in the outskirts of Mumbai, trying to read a book, but she didn't have any light. So she was literally reading to the light of the passing cars. Wow. Me, that stuck in my mind as the women of India. Okay. The, mm. the resilience, the commitment, the determination. The next day we go into in-home visits. Look, I become emotional just thinking about it. Okay. Mm. <laughs> We're going to in-home visits and, you know, in-home, anyone that works in marketing is all about understanding unmet needs, you know, their life, how we can create products that better meet their life. We walk in and I see this young girl, Isha, sitting on the floor. Okay. Her mom comes in and offers us drinks in China cups. And then she bends over and she offers Isha on the floor. And I'm like looking and it was different cups. It was metal cups, like like you would give an animal, right? And I noticed that Isha was sitting against this blue wall that was faded as if, as if she sits there quite often. Mm -hmm. She didn't get up the whole time of the interview. Towards the end, her aunts and uncles, two uncles and, and an aunt came in. And for a moment when the uncle, you know, uncles greeted her, I noticed this really sad, embarrassed look on Isha's face when we walked out you know I was I turned to my agency partner and I'm like what was that all about and she said well Dalia she's on her period and I said so what and then she told me well in India we have a lot of myths about period we believe that women on periods are impure so we don't allow them to go into the kitchen or into prayer areas and they sit and actually sometimes sleep on the floor and you know, she jokingly added, you know, and hey, we even believe if, you know, if they touch pickles, they'll make them go sour. Rotten, wow. right? And I remember, wow. I can tell you, Ryan, that night, I couldn't mm. sleep. I just kept having Isha's sad look on my face. And I'm like, and then I started learning, I mean, more about the women of India. So not only, you know, do they have this habit of sitting on the floor, but they really their period really kind mm. of holds them back. They don't use pads or, or tampons. They use cloth in many of the markets, 70% about uh, of women, which means they have all these infections when they need to walk kilometers through the jungle to school. So they don't even go to school a week a month. You talk about women empowerment yeah, and yeah, equality, yeah. right? You know, if you're not moving ahead, you're falling behind and here they are missing a week a month. So next morning I call the agency and I'm like, listen, hmm. I couldn't sleep. You know, we need to do something about it. I know it's cultural. And she's like, you know what? Yeah, me too. I search, I researched it. It used to have a good origin to, you know, help women. 
but it really kind of makes uh, women and especially girls feel kind of left behind. Anyway, we got to work. I said, listen, I'm a foreigner and I know it's deeply cultural, but I think we need to do something about it. And eight months later, we came out with a marketing campaign called I Did, I Touched the Pickle. And we decided to use humor as a way to tackle it. And, you know, that's when I realized I'm not in the business of selling pads. I'm in the business of women empowerment. That campaign, if I'm proud of something, I'm proud of many things in my career, yeah, but yeah. probably that's the most, I mean, it, it went viral. We had a Bollywood actress that almost hit a report. I really started the conversation, you know, on women yeah. empowerment before me too. And there was TED talks about it. It was really kind of a moment when I, when I realized that, you know, I'm living my, my purpose every single day. So mm. that's kind of was my, my career. And actually that led to the always like a girl in a way um, we presented it to the global team and, and, you know, of course it's very India specific, but we said, we're not in the business of selling pads. We're in the business of women empowerment and that yeah. led to the brief. And I don't like taking credit for this campaign. I was one of four marketing directors. The idea came from the agency. <laughs> Actually, the, the story goes that my president told her daughter, she had the period that she didn't want to play basketball. And she said, like, you go up there and you play it like a girl. And that kind of, you know, the agency caught up and the campaign, you know, became one of the most iconic uh, campaigns for women empowerment, for mm. the fact how brands can use their voice. I think there's 250 million views um, Forbes rated it just recently, one of the 10 most influential campaign. And I can tell you, you know, as one of the directors, I'm of course very proud of the business results, but I'm a mom of three. Okay, I have a 20 year old, a 19 year old and a 13 year old. And my youngest called me, that was a year ago. So almost six years after the campaign uh, first launched, she called me from school all excited one day, mom, you won't believe it. They're showing you ad in social studies. And wow. I can tell you every <laughs> time I give a talk about this, yeah, uh, there's girls that have told me how much it's changed their life or uh, so. Um, so that was my career in PNG, and you know my book, which you see, Dare to Lead Like a Girl. I'll get to that in a bit. You know the name; it's not a book for women at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll talk about that a little bit. It's for women and men, but it's you know a provocation, using a homage uh, for that campaign. But why I wrote the book, and you know my story. Um, Seventeen years, my career just went from strength to strength, right? But it wasn't until I reached the lowest point of my career that I kind of realized the importance of leading with passion. I'm going to tell you a story of two tales, okay, that I also share in the TED Talk. Yeah. Very early on in my PNG career, I had an incredible boss, James Lafferty, a close friend and mentor until today. But six months into the role, I was kind of in his office. He was my manager's manager, okay, the general manager. And I was in the office because one of my launches hit a wall. Long story, I worked really hard for this campaign. The product got stuck in the customs. Everything got screwed up. I was so angry and so frustrated in that meeting. Now, I don't know about you, but I get, you know, when I get frustrated, I tear. I have a heart on my sleeve. Like, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's scientifically proven men deal with frustration with anger more often because that's what they've been socialized women deal with tears and I'm sitting there and I'm crying I tear really easily okay I'm crying and I'm like oh my god I'm in the office of my general manager crying and I kind of frantically try to regain my composure 
And Jim offers me a box of tissues. And when I kind of calm myself down, he looks me dead in the eye. And Ryan, he says something I'll forever remember. He told me, Dalia, don't you ever be embarrassed for crying in the office again. Yeah. It's a sign of your passion. Mm. And Dalia, passion is your superpower. Mm. Well, guy. Wow. Yes. And, you know, then he added, and if you ever work for someone that doesn't appreciate that, walk away. Yeah. They deserve you. Hey, my friends, thank you for being with us so far. I hope you're enjoying the interview. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about our signature heart print coaching. Our heart print coaching is for you. If you're ready to go all in on becoming a heart centered leader, ready to go all in on doing more of what you love, ready to see what you are capable of with support, guidance and accountability. You're ready to go on a rapid transformational journey that would change your life and others in as little as three months. Are you ready to show up with courage and share your gift with the world? Ready to start making an income and more impact by doing what you love? Ready to start leaving your legacy where those around you are left better than yesterday? In our Heartprint Signature Coaching, in our time together, I'll help you lead from your heart set. I'll help you develop other people and your team. I'll help you bring your heart work to the world. I'll help you start leaving a legacy and capturing examples of your impact. I will help you be someone you love, to do more of what you love, and to serve people that you love. It's an amazing opportunity for someone who's ready to go all in and be a heart-centered leader. I'll throw in loads of other bonuses, including your life languages profile, uh, access to our Master Heart and Mind membership, and even some Always Better Than Yesterday merchandise. Head to abty.co.uk forward slash coaching to find out more, and I look forward to connecting with you very soon. That's abty.co.uk forward slash coaching. Here we go. Back to the interview. So that was kind of my beginning. And for the next 17 years in PNG, not only was I able to kind of live in flow and work on what I love, I also had managers that believed in me sometimes more than I believed in myself. Yeah. But after 17 years with PNG, I I left. Okay. It was almost like a divorce because I loved PNG. Mm-hmm. Reality was we moved with them to Singapore. My husband opened a big, uh, you know, startup. It was doing really well. They suddenly wanted me back in Geneva. We left as friends. All was good. I took a role as CMO Asia, a huge role, huge promotion. A hundred people around the, um, you know, Asia was yeah. brought in to completely change the, 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 the company to be mm-hmm. more consumer-centric. Marketeers dream, right? Mm. However, <laughs> one <laughs> month into the role, so I love the CEO and I love the global CMO and, you know, everything seemed amazing. One month into the role, I got a new direct manager. So the local C- uh, CEO for Asia. And man, it took me a week to realize that him and I, water, water, you know, and uh, water and fire, oil and water, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, I was all about people and creativity and passion. And he was all about numbers and scorecards and ROI. Most days it was ROI or you die, right? And just as a, I think it was my first week working with him and he's like, Dalia, I'm not going to tell you what you're good at. I find it a total waste of time. I'm a Six Sigma black belt. 
and I will help you focus on what you need to fix. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lovely, right? Something needs something you need to fix, which automatically implies that something's broken. <laughs> exactly. And not he went out of his way to show that it was broken in any way. I mean, he 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 added, he said to me, you know, I don't believe there's any art in marketing. It's all science, you just didn't get it yet. And you know, when I tell it to a marketer, you understand it's like a a dagger in the heart. You know, all my, all my strengths that, um, you know, P&G 17 years, I was one rated, there was something working there, right? I, suddenly they, they not only weren't appreciated, but they were diminished, right? So I was too good with my people. I was too positive. Miss Kumbaya was my nickname. Uh, what was it? I was too creative, which means I wasn't process driven enough. Yeah. So get the picture, a match yeah. made in hell. But the story that really kind of that I also tell in Ted that was really the trigger moment and in a weird way that pushed me to write the book was six months into the role or something. Um, I was summoned into his office, right? He liked to summon me from a different meeting mm -hmm. and he started giving me feedback. Okay, you have a heart on your heart. <laughs> I love feedback. I love yeah. it. We used to call it tough love in PNG, mm -hmm. which is the right way to do feedback. There's no sugar coating. I'm, you know, give it to me straight, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I like direct feedback, okay? But feedback that's given from a position of care. Yes. And I can tell you there was no love that day. Mm. <laughs> it was only really tough, denigrating, humiliating, belittling, and I'm sitting there and I'm now a C-suite woman, right? The only woman you know, one of the only two women in a team of two. So anyway, I'm sitting in his office and I'm holding it in. Dahlia, C-suite woman, you know, hold it in. Mm. And then he moves to humiliate my team. And Ryan, that's when I became a lioness because <laughs> I was so frustrated. I knew how hard they worked on it, right? And when it comes to my team, I... And I got so angry and frustrated because how unfair it was that I started to tear. Now, he looked at me and he smiled and he gave me a box of tissues. So for a moment, I had this warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Mm. Remembering my first boss, Jim. And I was sitting there and suddenly I raised my eyes and I noticed something really weird about his smile, mm. almost evil. Mm. And then he turned around that tissue box and that's when... I couldn't believe my eyes. On the other side of that tissue box, he created a handmade sticker which read Dahlia's tissue box. He was prepared that he's going to humiliate me and make me cry, and that was a game to him. And when I tell it, you know, I had one time a thousand people in Facebook, they all went, right? So it's like when I do live uh, session, it's like, that was exactly my reaction. I went, yeah. are you kidding me? This is an HR assault. Kind of leans back and he said, oh, Dahlia, stop being so emotional. It's just boy banter. I know you have a sense of humor. <sighs> so that was it. Now I'm not a, a I'm a feisty little one. Okay. <laughs> I was a competitive gymnast, an army platoon commander. You know, for me, quitting is not in my vocabulary, whether it's good or bad. I said, I'm not going to quit. You know, why should I quit? He should. Mm. And so this dance of death started for three years. You know, first year I was determined to coach him. I came from kind of, I know to manage up, you know, I'm going to give you feedback and 
we will find a way to work together. And, you know, the more resilient I became, the more coaching I became, he told me, I'm not to be coached, you know, basically F you, this is who I am, you know, yeah. my way or the highway. And I realized, I mean, that was the first time I realized you can't coach someone that doesn't want to be coached, mm -hmm. right? And um, so second year, you know, that's the fight the first year, right? Second year was all about flight. So literally I started avoiding conflict in a way as, as open-minded as I am. And I believe conflict is a opportunity for connection to curiosity, but in this case, there was no curiosity. So I hired a data scientist that gave him all the data that he needed. And I was doing my, my stuff and, you know, trying to kind of, you know, at the end of that year, we did deliver our results, but I felt physically sick. Yeah. I literally felt that I left my heart and my art in the workplace, in the door, doorway, sorry. Ah, mm. oh, that was so frustrating. And I think the trigger moment was the beginning of year three, I attended a PNG alumni. Okay, so my previous company. And I walked in and I heard all the leaders talk about servant leadership and take care of your people and the business takes care of itself. And when I remember, I walked in and I literally plunked myself down in the seat and I said to myself, whoa, I've become a frog in boiling water. Hmm. This is bullying. It's the first, I mean, yeah. first time that I really determined to myself this environment is toxic yeah right i'm not able to change it i'm not willing to change myself beyond the values i need out and that's you know but i wasn't going to leave before i bring my you know everything that i committed so we created a campaign very data driven also very creative that one on fe and that's when i knew i got my mojo back and yeah people ask me why did you stay three years okay and I still ask myself sometimes, like, would I recommend my daughter to stay, right? And, you know, there's a lot of reality. I was the main breadwinner. My husband was opening a startup, but I really loved my team and what I was doing. Yeah. But I think one of my biggest learnings, and I actually ended up researching, I actually did my master's on research is me search. Can you coach yourself out of a toxic environment? That was my research question. And my answer was yes or no. <laughs> yeah. so, it depends. Yes, yes, you can build resilience. Yeah. Okay. And I became an organizational psychologist focused on positive psychology. And I have a whole model that I work with in the book. We'll talk a little bit about that on how we should build resilience. Yeah. So I'm a big believer. I wouldn't quit immediately. I would try mm. and work on yourself and see what's your lesson. Okay, what can you do to grow? But put a time limit on that, six months max. Okay, yeah. because if you're asked to change beyond your value, it's not the right place for you. Yeah. And when it comes to really toxic environment, I found there's only one strategy that works, and that is zero tolerance. Mm. If you ask me what I didn't do well, I was too empathetic. I thought I can change him. I thought you're I an optimist. I've read your book. You're an optimist. I'm an optimist, right? <laughs> so I kept on saying, and you know, and that's sometimes the issue when I say dare to lead like a girl, and we'll talk about it. Sometimes it's not only about the positive feminine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't step into my angry. 
Ryan. Yeah. I didn't yeah. step into my assertive to say, sorry, sir, but you will not talk to me like that. Yeah. I'm I am. Um... Even come back when you're ready to treat me to respect. So that was my driver. That was my career. The tale of two cities, it was tough, but I really mm. believe we all have pain sometimes. Yeah. The question is, what do you do with it? So I decided to learn from it and share my learnings. Well, I'm grateful that you are and, and, and the legacy and the impact that it's going to have for generations to come is, is, is probably something that you may not even realize in this lifetime. It, it's going to be that profound. And mm -hmm. I have a seven-year-old daughter and myself. And, you know, I, I, I truly want, it's really interesting. I come from a, I come from a background where that like a girl was, is almost a put down for young boys, uh, let alone for what it meant for a girl. It was almost put down for, for young boys. So, about language you don't have balls what are you a, a pussy right yeah Perhaps. exactly nice friend, so, yeah no good <laughs> so, so being able to have some form of language that I can now impart in, in my daughter to flip the script and I think you use the words to reclaim to reclaim that phrase as well it's really pow powerful and empowering so really appreciate that and, and I think one of the things you alluded to then was about shadows and I was reading your acknowledgements in your book, and I love the fact that you included your tissue box boss in your acknowledgements. Mm. Why did you do that? You know, I did a podcast uh, very early on. So in 2018, when I left and I started studying, I was invited to talk in a women's conference. That was a pivot moment because um, as I stood there and my emotions were raw and a crazy stand innovation in the audience was Professor Tal Ben-Shaha, mm -hmm. who's Harvard's guru for positive psychology, uh, who was speaking in this conference, right? And he came earlier to hear me because we met the evening before. And he was the one who's like, Dalia, you need to speak on TED and you need to write a book. And I remember I like, me? <laughs> my stories are any girl next door what's so interesting about that yeah. that's why they're so relevant you know yes. you have a lot of academic people okay or people in the trenches but the combination of people in their trenches the academic knowledge the you know the practical of being a coach so he was the one that planted that in my head and then I went and you know studied with him positive psychology taught it at the university Singapore Management University I'm an organizational psychologist and coach, mm -hmm. so also mm -hmm. very practical. So I try to create something that's kind of very, very practical. But um, I was once in a, in, in a workshop, actually with Tony Robbins, where he encouraged us to write a gratitude letter to someone we don't like. Yeah. That was part of my healing joy journey. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, what? And I sat there in the room, it was in Perth, Sydney, uh, Perth, Australia. And I remember I literally kind of really struggled with this task. Yeah. And then a few months later, I was on a podcast and the guy asked me, what would happen if you actually met your boss? And I lost, I was lost for words. And I think the first few months I had a lot of anger, right? So I wasn't in a gratitude mode then, but through the healing journey, look, I mean, he gave me a story that enabled to do a TED talk, right? Yeah. And he was the driver. Now I know it's weird for me to say, I don't, it's not about him in any way. And I'm, you know, it's really important to put that aside. People ask me, did he say sorry? No, he didn't. He's not here. He's not, 
You know, I still sometimes dream that he sees something and he recognizes something in himself, but I realize it's the same me that's trying to coach someone that's, you know, he has his journey, my journey, you know, through learning what not to do, through that shadow, you know, and the mirroring in the team, that's also a crazy thing. When you have, a, you know, and later I went and I studied that and I realized, whoa, do you know how, what percent of employees experience bullying in the workplace? Any guess? Too many. Too many. <laughs> it's between 20 and 50%. That's, That's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. crazy. You wouldn't expect that in a playground, let in our workplaces. Exactly. You know, and we do so much for that in schools and playground, your daughter's seven. Yeah. And we accept it in the workplace because yeah. the person delivers, you know, fear creates results. Short -term. ROI. <laughs> Short term. Sure. Right? Absolutely. Look at my leadership team out of 14, seven were fired or left. That has a cost. Yeah. You know, the, I also, there's a lot of research on the shadow effect of a bully. Even after they're gone, the toxicity, okay, is there for up to two to three years, okay, because people start mirroring a leader's behavior. On the positive side, they mirror a positive behavior, but yeah. they also mirror a negative behavior. <laughs> and you create such deep-rooted cultural code yeah. that takes years. I read somewhere that it's, you know, the cost of, you know, retaining a bully is 10x, you know, versus spending more of that money hiring the right people. And until today, I, I, you know, it's a great company, great values. They did yeah. take action, but too little, too late. And I think the incredible thing is that it's so easy, easily solved, mm. you know, with a zero asshole promotion strategy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you, maybe you'll, you'll be able to share some of your organizational consultancy, your psychologist uh, perspective. But my, my simple understanding is that we're social beings. And if we as a society value position and status and rank and respect, then we are instantly looking to those as examples of what does it take to succeed here? Yeah. So by nature, the byproduct becomes, okay. oh, that's what it takes to succeed. So we start behaving like that. And, mm. and you, you know, my peers were decent people, but we allowed ourselves language and behavior that was totally unacceptable. Okay. Yeah. And then... Um, and no one stood up for for one hand because if you did and there were a few that did they got shut down like crazy i mean yeah. the divide and conquer i mean there's a very, there's a whole strategy there for you know uh, bullying but you know i kept on thinking how come png does didn't have that many bullies and mm. when i think about it we had a very simple strategy so you would get a rating for building the business, okay, obvious. How how are you delivering against your ROI? But you got a second rating to how, what are you doing on building the organization? At the lowest level, building the organization is building your skill. And mm. later the brand manager is coaching and training your team and later training, you know, award abroad and how many projects are you doing that are beyond your immediate kind of helping make the organization better. Yeah. And in talent review, we would review the actions and results on building the business, but also on building the organization. And if you weren't top rated in both of them, you would not get promoted. Mm -hmm. So simple. Mm -hmm. So simple. And right? yet, you know, my background in policing, so often there's be the cases that we reward the ones that are really good at their job. 
right. not not the ones that are really good at helping others be really good at their job. Well, sometimes, okay, you know, in most cases, take care of your people and the business takes care of yourself, yeah. of itself. In the long term, that's a strategy. You invest, and we, in P&G, we were taught, invest 50% of your time in building your people. Mm. Okay, don't try and do it yourself. Learn how to delegate. Build, learn to build skills. Okay, so that later on, when they are fully on, you can take bigger and bigger responsibilities, mm. right? The thing is, too many companies, you know, they see the short-term results and ROI that comes from fear, yes. okay? And yep. fear is not a long-term strategy. And it justifies all the shitty behavior. Yep, yeah. So, you know, I'm on, I'll tell you, it's funny. So I was kind of writing my own story, you know, with the this triad that I mentioned, okay, storytelling, because mm -hmm. what comes from the heart lands in the heart, people remember mm -hmm. stories, the science, okay, because I want this book to be as relevant for high emotionally storytelling, mm -hmm. but also for the left brain, so right brain, left brain, and then what do I do about it, so I'm a very practical person, I want anyone who read the book to have like almost a manual, mm -hmm. I want to understand my purpose, what do I need to do, etc., but, you know, this kind of whole uh, thing evolved when I understood how um, sad we are <laughs> in when bullying in work. And, and the outcome of that is clear. We're seeing Gallup shows us 87% of employees are unhappy in the workplace, mm. believing they work for companies that don't appreciate them as human beings. 20% of employees are so unhappy that they make everyone around them unhappy. That's the toxic employees. 20% of employees are toxic. They're not in the right place for them. They're not managed in well, and they just make the organization toxic. And, you know, that has a cost. Yeah. Do, you know the, do you know the greatest thing I realized as a young leader? The greatest thing I think I realized is that that 87% you just referenced, they yeah. go home to people. Ripple effects, the yep. why, the children, you know, happy parents, happy kids. That's my philosophy for parenting. Yeah. Yep. Always been. I was a working mom, you know, for me, when I was happy, my kids were happy, my family was happy. Mm. A happy wife, happy life. <laughs> Whatever yep. you want to go yep. there. But families, extended families, yep. co-workers, think about it. And it's showing, it's ugly. I mean, it's coming out now. So before COVID. We knew the data showed, so 87% is one data point. I went crazy when I saw one in four employees was experienced acute work-related anxiety, okay, to the level of mental health. One in four, that's insane, insane mm. because of work, right? You, yeah. you know? And now with COVID, Everything's extenuated, right? And we're seeing it with the great resignation. And the thing that kind of, you know, for me, it wasn't a surprise, but for the world, it was quite a surprise. There was this incredible research by the Sal father, father and son, January 2022, it came out, and they were trying to understand the great resignation. Okay, 24 million Americans left, 40% are claiming they want to leave in the next year. And they were trying to understand the reason, burnout, pay right there were all these kind of dynamics going on you know what the number one reason was this toxic environments yeah powerful 
powerful. Now, if, if only optimist. somebody wrote a book to solve all the problems. So exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you um, why, you know, there are things out there. And that's what that's and ended up kind of being my catalysator because I'm an optimist and mm. I've seen that you can turn it around. So the cost of this toxic environment research shows they estimate it as $7 trillion globally. Okay. So when I come and I teach happiness at work and I come to CEOs, I remember one of them told me, Dalia, happiness is fluffy. Show me mm. the money. And I'm like, dude, is $7 trillion fluffy? The good news, and that's where I come in, right? The good news is that we can teach ourselves to be more resilient. We can raise awareness. I want potential bullies to see my TED talk and say, I don't want to be a tissue box, you know, yeah. boss. Then. Yeah. And when I, when did I realize that? When I did my TED talk a few months later, I got thousands of calls. Okay. I got yeah. called, you know, I was shaking like crazy before doing the talk, <laughs> but I kept on thinking of the one person that w- will make a difference. Yeah. There were thousands, one woman that, you know, women that decided to stand up for bullying, to make mm. a, you know, to dare in general, to make their life better. Men, like you said, reclaiming the phrase, I had one guy call me all excited that every time someone cried in his office, he would be really embarrassed and didn't know what to say. And he's like, wow, you gave me a playbook. Yes. The next day, a girl cried in my, one of my employees cried in my office. And I just looked at her and I said, wow, I see you're really passionate about mm. it. How can I help? Wow. And, you know, Right? Tears a sign of passion. It's not a weakness. But the craziest call that I got is from this guy in Australia. And he and he says to me, total stranger, he said, Dalia, I just wanted to say thank you. I watched your TED talk. I realized that I'm an asshole. What do I do? Hands up for that. Then hands up. And today the guy is amazing. Yeah works with organization on a right he he tried it on himself being nice and he saw what a change it made Mm. for business results forget anything else so he inspired me and actually in the book in the first page i say yeah that's an asshole that you want him to get the book a hundred books a year gift for me just write to me i'll send it anonymously so i don't know if it will eradicate assholes world around but it's your reformed asshole program i saw (laughs) (laughs) It's powerful. And I guess, you know, let's, let's be, I mean, a huge encouragement for people to go check out the book for the, for the detail and the stories, but I just love to know the hallmarks of what it means to dare to lead like a girl, because I think there's two things, isn't it? It's, it's to empower the woman to lead that way herself, but also the empowerment to the man to create the conditions for that to be possible as well. So what are some of the hallmarks of leading like a girl? Okay, so I mean, the book is based on this, you know, research by Harvard Business Review. Mm-hmm. In 2012, they tried to understand how come we, we don't have more women in senior roles or women not as effective as men. And they found, yes, women are as effective as men. In 2019, they repeated the research. And in this time, they found that women weren't only as, you know, as good, but they actually scored better in 17 out of 19 leadership traits. Good. Things that people think on naturally women, yeah. empathy, intuition, teamwork, but also things like risk-taking and innovation, et cetera. Why? Why this change? The women didn't change during this time. The environment, the work. Yeah. Okay, we're working remotely. You know, if you don't have empathy, you cannot lead. The command and control model just doesn't work in the future of work. 
you can innovate when you don't have empathy, right? Because how do you understand unmet consumers' needs? Uh, pivoting, you know, the whole world work environment has completely changed. Now, I say this, I quote this research, it really is not, and once I, in an article, I said, I'm not a feminist and so many people jumped on me. I'm not a feminist in the sense that I think we're better than men, completely not. There's no such thing as a female brain or a masculine brain. We both have within us female leadership traits and male leadership traits. The issue is socialization made some more acceptable. So when a female acts in the same way, assertiveness, they say she's bitchy. And I had mm -hmm. so many, many men saying, oh, you, you lead like a woman in an insult. Yeah. And what I'm trying to find in my provocation there, right? My provocation there is guys and girls, <laughs> wake up. The environment has changed. Okay, yes. and in this environment, we all, men and women, need to connect to those more feminine leadership traits. And that's yes. what they are to lead more like a girl. And pragmatically, I call it the 5P model. So very, uh, I know you read, but just very mm -hmm. quickly for the, for the audience. I try to simplify, we, we need models. I come from marketing, 5P of marketing, <laughs> 5P of you know, leading more mm -hmm. like a girl, which basically means leading with your head and your heart. Mm -hmm. So the first one is purpose. The first P is purpose. That's the begin all and end all. Mm -hmm. This is about connecting to your strengths. This is about my story in PNG. Why, why was I a rock star? Because I loved what I was doing. It wasn't a, a job for me, right? Yeah. I was working. Hours didn't matter because I was on fire. So, mm -hmm. you know, find your purpose. And my favorite workshop that I do for companies you know, Microsoft employee wrote to me the other day, I'm so grateful for Microsoft uh, for doing this. And I have CEO tell me what, you know, my employees will realize that they want to be monks in the Himalaya and leave. Very rarely does someone want to be a monk in the Himalaya. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. often, especially in the big companies, yes, you can find what your passion is and do it within, you know, what you're currently doing with a little twist and an alignment with your line manager. So that's number one. Finding were, were you by any chance telling them that they need to do Wim Hof and do some ice baths? <laughs> that comes later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big Wim Hof fan. Yeah, likewise. So I haven't done one of his tours, but I follow him religiously and we have a ice bath. Uh, yeah, amazing. We started in COVID actually, and we, yeah, we same. started doing it. It's incredible. But that's the third P. I'll jump to that P actually. Okay. That's all about your physical wellness. Yeah. So... And this is something women don't do as well, okay? In yes. the sense of we need to take care of our energy. Yes. It's not about managing time. But men as well. We kind of, men don't yep. ask for direction, don't ask for help, and they die more often from heart attack, mm. okay? So the physical element is taking care of the basics. Your body is your temple. Breathing, eating, you know, touch, recovery, movement. So that's kind of the physical. So the third P is really about perspective, okay? And we think, I call it, the, you know, the 3E model. There's an event and an emotion. We think we're reacting emotionally to an event, but actually there's something in the middle called the evaluation of that event, our perspective of that. Often we get, right? Remember, you get angry with someone, and it had nothing to do with you. Your evaluation of the situation was totally wrong. You know, the glasses you chose to wear that day. So that's understanding growth mindset, your failures, your, your best opportunity. How do we create post-traumatic growth? Everyone knows post-traumatic stress disorder. But it's actually three times more common to have post-traumatic growth, which means actually not only do we bounce back, 
but we actually grow higher. So I talk a lot about that in the book. The fourth P and probably the most important and obvious one, the number one driver of happiness is people. The quality of our life is the quality of our relationship. So what can you do as a leader, whether you have a team of one, which is you, because leadership is leading yourself and how do you build self? Something called self-fullness, okay? Fill in yourself, your jug, so you can fill in up others. And how do you deal with others? And then the last P is around positivity. And, you know, Martin Seligman, the father of positive psychology says his regret is calling it positive psychology. Positivity is not about being happy, happy all the time. It's about giving ourselves the permission to be human. I call it emotional bravery. We all hurt sometimes. It's okay not to be okay. Who doesn't have bad emotions? Only psychopaths or dead people. So if you're sad, that's great news. Okay. So, but as a leader, how do you make space for that? How do you, you know, let an employee's grieve or whatever's going on and then help them slowly, slowly create the upward spiral of positivity through instilling hope and gratitude and everything kind of that can lift us up. So, so that's the 5P with a lot of stories, a lot of tips. And I'm so excited you read it. And yeah. I can't wait to, you well, know, for your listeners. Do you know what? And I, and I think, you know, there are people out there that, like myself and many people I surround myself with, that have a heart for wanting to bring out the best. And I think great leaders will, will understand the mosaic and the tapestry that we all can contribute to, but maybe aren't quite equipped to know how. And there's a, there's a there's an intellectual world that is so wrapped up in trying to say the right thing do the right thing and the legitimate the, the the kind of litigious kind of society yeah. as well and not wanting to do the right wrong thing and not wanting to get hr involved and it gets in the way of connecting with human beings and having and I, and I truly believe that if you can connect at a heart level with people yeah. whether you're a man or a woman there's a big yeah. bubble of grace that says, I'll be okay with your clumsiness if yeah. I get if I get the sense that your heart's in the right place and that you care. And and I love now that, that you know good people have a have a playbook, as you say, to try and navigate some of that um that jungle. <laughs> Remember, you know, the emotional bank account. That's what it is. You yeah. know, how do we deal the emotional bank account? And I had amazing managers that because we had this emotional plus right we invested in relationship getting to know your employees as people as human yeah. beings in yeah. together rollerblading together you know water skiing right and everyone fucks up sometimes it's yeah. normal right yeah. Yeah. you know it's it's how we fail forward you learn to fail or you fail to learn mm. and a leader that doesn't understand that right and scolds you for your failures you know you will never try again no. so no. i love the sound of your um your happiness yacht retreats as well they sound wonderful <laughs> so when i left uh, you know and i started studying you know that was one one angle that you know i i wanted to take ceos off on retreats and kind of uh, and today i do some of that so most of my work is working with hardcore corporates you know the Microsoft, yeah. google facebook's but doing it really fun and uh, your retreats is one we also uh, together with tal ben shahar we created a game it's called happiness, up your game at work. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's a way of kind of bringing all the learnings into the book, in the book, 
into the workplace in a fun, engaging way, but very, you know, a serious play, right? So you get to solve daily challenges using tools from the world of positive psychology. And I'm super enthusiastic about that. Um, yeah, so I'm trying my different, it? right? I'm trying my different ways to, to make an impact. And I'm really grateful that, um, you know, so many people, there's a sense of movement, but, uh, you know, that's where we can do. We can just continue, you know, talking about it if you feel that resonates you know i would love people to buy the book share with me what they think send it to anyone that they think they needs to get it either anonymously or non-anonymously and you know i think we all can do our best in throwing those little stones to create the ripples you know one by one mm, i love that and just before i wrap up with my final question i, I think one of the things that i absolutely love is um there's a lot of talk out there about psychological safety, you know, mm. psychological safety, the foundation of great teams. I have a theory that it's bigger than that. I think the thing that creates psychological safety is unconditional love. Mm. And I think, you know, I think without stereotyping too much, I think women and parents in general are very, very good at that because yeah. they've learned what it means to un unconditionally love a, a little human. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things I absolutely love is that parenting is quite possibly the greatest form of leadership, you know, the service, the sacrifice. But what often we forget is this play-based living that you talk about, Yes. you know, so as a way That's of regulating. Right. And, you know, people ask me, why did you call it dare to lead like a girl, not dare to lead like a woman? Right. A, mm -hmm. it's the homage to the campaign. Right. But it's also about going back to our authentic original self before socialization kicked in yeah. okay and our 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 core our raw kind of uh, experiences and yes i'm completely you know for me being a parent was like i always say you want work-life balance have kids because it gives you perspective it gives you you know you need to go home to something important you know and there's some that decide not to have kids that's fine find something outside of work that you're passionate about that forces you to have a life, right? And I think, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's a great, uh, a great example. If we all, unconditional love. And I also would say that um, it's actually also grounded in research that the, the authenticity that comes with admitting mistakes. Yeah. Uh, that builds psychological safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're able to say, you know, I as a boss maybe have more experience, but I do not yeah. know it all. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I've read some things, you know, particularly in a policing setting, you think we don't want mistakes. And then, you know, we, you have leaders that admit mistakes, which then the trip, the ripple effect is that other people feel brave enough to admit their mistakes too. So if yeah. we're looking at scorecards, well, well, since you've admitted mistakes, we've made more mistakes. No, just no. the ones for the last 10 years have gone unreported. Exactly. That's what Amy Edmondson shows in her book, actually. And yeah. when we don't, report the mistakes that's when i mean she talks about hospitals and people are dying yes. because they're too, too they're not admitting mistakes so you know creating an environment i remember walking into google back in 2017 in uh, palo alto and on the wall they had a graveyard of failed initiatives mm. and each team had to create a graveyard and say how they failed forward i thought that was a brilliant example Powerful. Very, yeah. very powerful because it's because it demonstrates the words intellectually. It's okay to fail, yeah. But then I get beaten up in my in my one to one versus 
you live what you speak. That's really powerful. I'm conscious of your time. A minute ago, you said about ripple effect and um, you give a real touching tribute to your friend, Vanessa, and hope that her children read the book as some way of carrying on her legacy. The word I use to describe legacy here, always better than yesterday, is heart print. I really believe that when we lead with heart um, and care and emotion and, and compassion, we leave a little heart print in, in the lives of other people who then go on and, and do wonderful things that we may not even become aware of. I just wonder what you think your heart print will be. Well, thank you for my reminding Vanessa. She wrote with me the chapter on uh, women uh, in the workplace. She's an HR yeah. manager. She unexpectedly died when giving birth, birth to mm. her two uh, daughters. So they never Tragic. met her. It is, and I'm still recovering. That was exactly, the book came out exactly for a year. Mm. And, and I can't wait to go to Singapore to meet her three kids and her husband and give them yeah. their personalized copy. But um, what is the hard bit? You know, I've been getting these amazing notes. Everyone, you know, my, my hope is that everyone gets what they need to be brave. And that's why I called it gear. <laughs> I think uh, dare, bravery is a really important word and it's the most misunderstood word. People think courage means making decisions that others don't. But courage comes from the French word cœur, which means heart. So I hope my heartprint is for leaders that they understand that real courageous leaders lead from the heart and that it's okay to have fears. We all have fears. Okay. Anyone who tells you that they don't is lying. We all have fears. We all have pain. The question is what we do with it. Courage is really having those fears, stepping into your superpowers and then daring. So mm. hope that will be it. Dahlia, I admire you. Thank you so much for all that you put out into the world and, and thank you so much for your time. And thank you for your huge heart. Lovely talking to you. you. Take care. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.